man, good stuff. All right, once again, if you will, grab your Bibles and going to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and if you will, we'll be in chapter 15, chapter 15. Okay, just giving a little bit of background, just getting us back to where we were, I guess, in the same mindset that we were studying before. Father, in Jesus' name, please give us wisdom, grace. Father, teach us by your spirit. May we learn, may we grow thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've had an issue that has come up in the church. Good issue, but one that had to be dealt with. And you're going to see this in display a couple of times in what we're going to be discussing even tonight. Um, These Gentile folks, what are we supposed to do with them? We're talking about you and me here. What, what, What do we do with those folks? Because if you think about it, the covenant that God gave to Israel to be part of that covenant, to be part of his people... You were a, a people who obeyed the law of Moses. And, there's, and let me tell you something. Even today, people have, whenever we talk about not being under the law, they make the law sound like it was a horrible thing. The law itself, the Bible says, was a very good thing. If you think about it, it reveals the nature of God. It kept us in right relationship with God so that we might walk before him and serve him in a way that was pleasing to him. Okay? Now, The law in and of itself, it could not save because the Bible says it was weak because of the flesh. That is, you may be able to point out to somebody a problem and a weakness that is within them, but you can't make them want to change. For instance, and I know we've used this illustration before, and I'm not trying to be cute, but I want you to think about this because maybe it'll help you as it helped me whenever we were talking about the law and our inability to fulfill it. So we have along our roadways and interstates, we have something called a speed limit, right? And we're not supposed to go over the speed limit, right? That's the law. But that sign doesn't make you want to obey it, does it? Oh, come on now. I know some of you are like, well, I've been known to, you know, be a little heavy-footed every once in a while. No, it doesn't make you want to do it. The reason why you don't do it is because there's a penalty for it. And if you do it anyway, you're hoping, well, maybe they won't look at me if I'm only going 9 or 10 miles over the speed limit. But the point is, it doesn't make you want to obey it. You obey it because there are consequences. Okay, very similar. The laws that God gave, there were times that our flesh did not want to obey it, but we do what God asked us to do, and sometimes they did. But sometimes we would because we understood. People did because there were consequences. But now there's a change. There's a change in the human heart. The Holy Spirit has now come to live inside of us. And because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, God's nature now being inside of us gives us a desire. It reveals to us what sin really is. As a matter of fact, the whole reason you came to Christ is because the Holy Spirit, there he is again in the the book of Acts, but even talking about it now, the Holy Spirit convicts us. He convicts us that this is not what you want to be doing. This is hurting you. It's hurting others. This should not be a part of your life. And whenever the Holy Spirit moves within you and he 
begins transforming your nature to desire to be like your Savior in heaven and brings us to repentance. And repentance, like we talked about, is not a one-time thing. Do not think I came to the altar, I said, Jesus, I'm sorry, now I can go live like I want to. Hogwash or Greek. Hogwash. Come on, y'all know this. I've done done that joke 500 times. You know it. Okay? Greek is hogwash. Just remember it. Okay. So the deal is... Now Jesus comes inside of us and he gives us a desire to want to please God. So now it isn't just a law that is there that is written. The Bible says that the law is now written upon our hearts. That is the law of the Spirit in Christ Jesus is now written apart of our heart. So now there is the desire to want to please our master, to walk after him. That's that new creation, that new nature that is God in you through Christ Jesus. Okay, so we have this law that has been given. And now these covenant people, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this uh, for clarification and understanding. If you remember, even the Pharisees were saying that anybody that came to Christ, they had to obey the law of Moses and they had to be circumcised. You're going to see this come back up in just a minute, but I want you to understand this. As a Jew... And we're going to be looking at Timothy in just a moment that Paul has circumcised. And people are going to say, well, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense with Paul's theology. We'll cover it. We'll cover it in just a minute. And, and I'll do the best I can with it. I'm not saying it's going to be perfect. I'm going to do my best that I can with it. But the deal is, if you're Jewish, if your mom was Jewish, you're Jewish. So if you're Jewish and you're not circumcised on the eighth day, you're considered apostate. You are not part of the covenant. So to them, to have somebody who was of the lineage of Abraham, somebody that was considered Jewish, and to not be circumcised, that was a a no-go. So how do you think that they looked at Gentiles? If they looked at their own people that way, how are they going to look at Gentiles? So we have this thing. Now Jesus... As we, we've talked about before, Jesus, uh, there was a paper that was written some years ago, and you could look it up if you want to on the internet, but it was called Jesus Reser- Reverser of Fortunes. Jesus Reverser of Fortunes. But what it was is Jesus was different. Now, obviously, he's God. Obviously, God has come in the flesh. And also, we see the love, forgiveness that Jesus Christ was offering to whosoever will. It didn't say one group of people. It said whosoever will. Okay. But Jesus would go to Gentiles. Jesus would minister to them. And I know I keep referring back to the woman at the well. But saints, you need to understand this. For the rabbi, just a rabbi, to be sitting and speaking with a woman, to be handling Gentile pottery and things like that, he would have been completely unclean at that moment. And yet you see Jesus looking at this woman, talking to her, touching everything, and even saying, hey, give me something to drink. Because once again, and I know I've shared this with you more times than I can count, but please, please, please get this in your minds. As a human being, you, and, and especially in that time period before Christ, you touch something unclean, you're unclean. The only exception to that is if God touches it, it becomes clean. So anything Jesus touches, it becomes clean. So, but you see this in the early church. Their problem was, is these 
are uncircumcised people. They're not part of the covenant. These people are pagans. They do not know the true and the living God. And now these pagans, these people outside of the covenant, these Gentiles, goyim, as you would say in, in, in Hebrew, but these people are now turning to Christ. And what Peter is showing us is that God is putting his seal upon them and showing them that he has accepted them just like you and me by giving them the same spirit that was given to them and in the same way, same signs, same wonders, same miracles coming upon them. But as this began to be revealed to the early church, there's a big question. How do we deal with these folks? How do they come into this thing? And so where we are today is we're coming to the Jerusalem Council. In other words, there was such a big dispute between Paul and these people. And he looked at him and said, no, 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 no. It's, and as we talk about, it's not Jesus plus anything. He says, this faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves a person. It is faith in Jesus Christ alone that makes you right in the eyes of God. Jesus has already paid the debt. Okay? We are simply in love and obedience following our Savior who has already done it. And it is his righteousness that is given to us because as we talked about this morning, God judged those sins already in the cross. Jesus died in our place. So they decide, you know, well, no, you've got to obey the law of Moses. No, you've got to be circumcised. And Paul, and you're going to see, Paul is known for a fiery dispensation. Not dispensation, disposition. Can you tell I've been to Bible college? I'm educated beyond my intelligence. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things I, you know, I've said this to you, and you probably heard Mark Lowry say this true. There's a lot of things I learned in Bible college that are not in that book. So just work with me here. Okay, so he has a very fiery disposition, okay? And, and Paul can, can come across very, very rough, and you're going to see that take place here in just a moment. But Paul is zealous for his Savior. See, as Paul was zealous in his early life for his faith, persecuting believers, throwing them into prison, consenting to the death, probably having many of them killed himself, as zealous as Paul was, now in Christ Jesus, you see this same mercy that is being poured out. See, Paul now has a new understanding because of an experience, a living, real experience that he had with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, some people ask this question, how is it that Paul's theology, Paul's understanding, Paul's even reversal of dealing with the law and what it means in our lives. Why is it so developed? I will tell you in my opinion why I believe that's so. Because think about it, as zealous as he was for the law, when he meets Christ on the road to Damascus and Jesus looks at him and says, Paul, you think you're persecuting them. You're persecuting the very Lord you think that you're defending. And Paul, you're wrong. And so when Paul gets alone and he starts praying, what do you think Paul is asking the Jesus about, or asking the Lord about the Jesus, asking him, saying, Lord, you know, what, what does this all mean now? And so I believe that God, as, as even Paul said, through the abundance of revelations that he had given him, I believe that the Lord very, very 
uh, clearly revealed to him, this is who I am. This is what grace means in Jesus Christ. And this is what it means for those Gentiles to whom I am sending you. So, change life. So Paul is in this argument and he says, I'm not budging on this one. And they're like, well, we know better than you, Paul. Paul's over there saying, I'm about to karate chop somebody and just to say, I don't know, did they have karate back then? I think so, didn't they? Do we have any ninjas in the audience today? Isaac? Okay, I was just wondering because, you know, <laughs> you were living back then. We used to kill with the kids and say, you know, Dad, for his first Christmas, he got dirt because it was new. <laughs> so, <laughs> you put water on it, you can make stuff out of it. It's amazing. <laughs> so anyway, Shane, stop. Focus. Back. Okay. Oh, sorry. Rabbit. Okay. So what are we going to do about these Gentiles? So here's the deal. We're going back to the Jerusalem church. And we're going to talk about this. Paul said, yeah, let's go back to Jerusalem and we're going to sit down with the apostles and we're going to settle this once for all. Paul's basically telling them, I'm tired of this. This isn't the first time he's come up with it. So anyway, they go back to the Jerusalem council. You've got Peter there who is, you remember, Jesus sent him to Cornelius to a Gentile's house. And Peter wasn't hip about going there in the beginning. And Jesus had to tell him, no, Peter, go. Don't ask anything. Don't worry about your conscience or anything like that. Just go at this moment. What God has cleansed, don't call it common. So he sends him to a Gentile's house. He preaches. While he is still speaking, the Bible says, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit falls on these people. They were so hungry for Jesus, they didn't know what to do. So anyway, the Spirit falls on him, and now Peter is going to be at the Jerusalem church, and he's going to give his testimony. So they're going back to the Jerusalem church, and as you remember, they're beginning to share with them, this is what's happened with the Gentiles. God has offered salvation to them. By the way, that same offering, it wasn't like it just happened. This was promised from the beginning, and you're going to see James talk about this in just a moment. Um, but this promise of Jesus Christ going to all people, that God loves all of us whenever he created us. Just because God chose a people through whom he revealed himself to the world, remember, he did that because they, his people, the Jewish people, were here to reveal God to the world and to be an example of what God expected. Okay? They were to be a light, if you will, even to the Gentiles. Okay? And you did have many of them that did convert, that turned to the Lord. Okay, Jesus being the completion of our faith. That does not mean that God does not have a plan and purpose for Israel. We all come to God through the same person, through Christ Jesus, but God still has a plan. And we will see that even fulfilled as Paul, and even in the book of Revelation and apocalyptic literature, we'll see God fulfilling many of his promises. But, okay, so here we are. We're in the Jerusalem church, and we're in the middle of the debate here, okay? So they're at the Jerusalem council, and they've already told us that God knows the heart, and God has even acknowledged the Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit, okay? Just as he had given to the Jews. And then in verse 9, and I'll come to verse 10, give me one second. And he made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Listen to that again. He's saying God made no distinction between us. And the Gentiles. 
because he gave us the same spirit. And catch the wording here. It says, purifying their hearts by what? Faith. Faith. And I know we talked about this this morning, but people, this is something that we often stumble over. Okay? Christ Jesus has broken down that wall of separation. The failures that the law revealed. The law is good. Paul even said this himself. He says the law is good. It tells us what God's holy, righteous nature is like and what he expects out of us. He said, but the law then reveals God's righteousness, but it also reveals our unrighteousness and how we're not like him. Okay? So it shows what God expects, and at the same time, when we fail that, it points at us and says, nope, you didn't do that. But here's what Jesus did, okay? When Jesus comes into the world, you will watch him. People will look at him and say, Jesus, you're trying to uh, take away the law. He says, no, I'm not. Jesus says, I will fulfill the law. I will obey it in perfection. I will not fail in one precept of God. That's how you know the difference between the law of God and what man had added to it. When Jesus looks at the scribes and Pharisees and he had told them, he says, you know, even to the people and telling them to be careful to obey what they were teaching because they were teaching what God had commanded through Moses. Okay? But he said, don't do it after their manner, just like we talked about this morning. Because they say one thing and they do not. And so when Jesus was rebuking them, he wasn't rebuking them for remaining faithful to God. He wasn't rebuking them for, for abstaining from adultery, from abstaining from any of the Ten Commandments for that matter. He didn't rebuke them for that, the Pharisees. He looked at them and said, you're two-faced and you're lying about this stuff and you make it too burdensome for people. Now, just wait a minute. I know I can carry that further to more clarity, but I want to go back to something. So here is Jesus telling them, yes, we must live as God has commanded. And whenever he comes here, he obeys the law perfectly that the law might be fulfilled in him. Because now we have a man who is sinless, perfect, has done everything that God has commanded. And now he comes as a sacrifice for God, for you and me. God takes his lamb and uses these sinful, barbaric, and merciful people to nail him to a tree and crucify him and let him die in a most horrible and most painful way and humiliating for that matter. So they put him up on the cross. So what happens is the righteous requirements of the law, everything that the law required is laid upon him. He fulfilled it. He's done it. So therefore, whenever he dies, he takes your sins, your failures, to obey God, it is now laid upon him and he is judged in your place. The condemnation that would have come to you and me and is still coming upon others. For without Christ, people, there's no hope. But let me tell you, no, we'll get into that at one point. But anyway, so in Christ Jesus, your sins are already judged. They've already been condemned. He has borne those. And now the life that we lead, the life that we live in Christ Jesus, we live by faith in him and obedience to him. Not because the law is going to come with a baseball bat and knock us down, because even in our failures, Jesus Christ's righteousness is greater. 
Now, does that mean that we just abandon and live like we want to live because Jesus has got this? Oh, no, that's not salvation, that's not repentance, and that's not forgiveness. But when you come to him in faith, oh, yes, his blood is greater than any sin. Atoning for all of it. Forever. There'll be no more sacrifice. He's offered it once for all. Okay. So now, the question is, how do we deal with these Gentiles? Okay? So let's go on. He's accepted them through faith in Jesus Christ. So verse 10, God bless the reading of his word. It says, now therefore, they're speaking. Now think about it for a minute. Before the Jerusalem council, let's see here. So Peter is speaking at this time, and he says, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the, of the disciples, meaning the Gentiles here, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now, you know what people miss here? I want you to take a look up here. Why do you test God? Doesn't the Bible say you're not supposed to put the Lord to the test? What he's saying is that if you tell these people they have to obey the law of Moses, you're taking Jesus out of the equation. You're taking his sacrifice out of the equation. You're saying that Jesus Christ's sacrifice lacks something. And he says what you're doing there is the very thing that God offered for forgiveness and salvation. You're saying it's not good enough and you're putting God to the test. That ain't cool at all. So he says... Okay, I'm sorry, somebody has some music. Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples? He says, we, our fathers couldn't bear it, and we couldn't because we added so much to it. And he says they can't do it. So what are we supposed to do? So let's take a look at 11. He says, but we, catch what he's saying. Now, whenever he says we, he's talking about, yes, the church, but he's talking about Jews here. He says, but we believe the apostles we believe that through the grace, grace, what is grace? Unmerited favor. Through the grace that God wants to give. We didn't deserve it, but he gives it. Because Jesus did it. So he says to him, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. What does he mean? By faith. By faith. It's always been by faith. And that's one of the main arguments that Paul makes. I know I'm walking around. I'm probably driving you crazy up there. But anyway, um, by faith. It's always been by faith. And one of the main arguments that Paul makes, and I know we talk about this, but it, it bears repeating and repeating often. Before Moses was ever on this earth, before the law was ever given, God came to Abraham, and what did he give him? Abraham, listen to me. Trust me. Believe what I tell you, and I will make a great nation out of you. Walk with me. Listen to me, and I will bless you, and I'll bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. It has always been that way. Now, what does the law do? Same thing as we talked before. It keeps us in that in our lane, you know, where we need to be in walking with God. So, in the same manner as they, verse 12, it says, Then all the multitude, catch this words, or two words, kept silent. 
What does that mean? It means where the, the arguing was going back, back and forth, people are starting to say, oops, I need to be quiet. And they start listening. In other words, the Spirit is now moving on the hearts of people and they're beginning to see this. So then all the multitude kept silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Now they let Paul speak. Dangerous thing because when Paul gets to the floor, he's on. Okay? As a matter of fact, sometimes Barnabas has to tune him down a little bit and say, Paul, take it easy. Take it easy. But anyway, they're telling them that among the Gentiles... God is showing time and time again that he has received them, that he has chosen them, that they too, albeit, as Paul says, a wild olive tree, and Israel being the original, they are being grafted together. From these two people comes a new people, the people of Jesus Christ, okay? So, Many miracles, wonders, God worked through them among the Gentiles. Verse 13, now James, the brother of Jesus. Now when James had his conversion experience, James is one of the most respected people. As a matter of fact, if you will watch this, Peter may have been the person that for all intents and purposes was heading up what's happening in Jerusalem, but take a look at this council. Do you see who's heading it up? James. This guy is very respected. Whenever you read... Uh, the writings of James, you will see his heart, his probably some of the most Jewishness in all of the books, and yet absolutely 100% declaring that Jesus Christ is the answer. So let's see what James does. He says, and after they had become silent, they're sitting there listening, James now stands up because James has a conviction that he wants to share. So James stands up and he answered and he said, Men and brethren, listen to me. Hear what I'm about to tell you. 14, Simon, speaking of Peter, he says, So Simon has declared how God at first revisited, he visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. He's speaking about Cornelius there. Okay, how we started this. And... With this, the words of the prophets agree. Okay, very powerful statement being made here. Simple as it may seem, James is now pointing to their scripture and he says, people, what Peter has been telling you is what the prophets have already said. This is not something new. What? Yeah, that's exactly what James is saying. He says, this isn't new. He said, the prophets have already said this, just as it is written. And now, under the power of the Holy Spirit, James is speaking and sharing this. Now, just listen to the words. Speaking of the Scripture, he says, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle or the house of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it back up so that the rest of mankind can also seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name. What? Gentiles who are called by my name, it says here. Says the Lord who does all these things. The Gentiles. The Gentiles will be accepted. They will call upon the name of the Lord. They will also be his people. 
That's you and me. So he goes on to say in verse 18, known to God from eternity are his works. Now, that's a, a powerful statement, very impregnated. But when you think about it, he's saying God from all eternity. He knows what he's doing. He knew what he was going to do with the Gentiles. This is the plan of God. So where are we? 18, okay. 19, therefore I judge, he says, this is my judgment on it, that we should not trouble those from among the Gentiles that are turning to God. We shouldn't be a burden to these people that are turning to God. We shouldn't add to them or expect something of them that shouldn't be asked of them. We shouldn't just be, you know, gratuitously adding things to them and probably wind up doing the same thing that happened to us by making the law unbearable. That's what he's saying, you know, to our ancestors, what they did to us. All right. So we shouldn't hinder them. Don't be a stumbling block to them in turning to God. He says, but this is what we should write to them, that we write to them to do certain things. Now, you ready for this? That we abstain from things polluted by idols. That would be things that were offered in idolatry to idols. And you say, well, Paul talked about that later. We'll get that in one second. Abstain to things polluted by idols. Stay away from sexual immorality. Well, that seems like a universal thing. But what he's saying there is that in the Jewish mindset, there was a purity. There was a purity that was between his man and his wife. And what he's saying is what was often carried out in the pagan cultures and their, let's just say they were engaging in a whole lot of perverse stuff. He said, there's no way they'll have fellowship with a Jew if they're continuing to act this way, much less as a Christian. But anyway, moving on. Abstain from sexual immorality, from things that have been strangled. He's talking about dietary laws there. And from animals that haven't been drained from blood, okay? Commandments that would have been dietary laws. And we'll get to why he, he's saying that, in my opinion, and also in the opinions of some others. So he says, so stay away from these things. That's what we should tell them. Now, verse 21 is one of those verses that's also impregnated, and we need to get this. Why are they saying this? Why are they putting these restrictions on them? People, this has not as much a law flavor to it in the sense that we need to put some restrictions on them as it is to say you have to live this way if you are ever going to have fellowship with a Jew especially now and he's talking about at that time period so if you're going to have fellowship with your brothers and sisters who are Jews if you're doing any of this other stuff they're not going to talk to you they're not going to listen to you you are going to create a well it depends on whether you pinkies up whether it's schism or schism Okay, so I don't know which one to say today because words change, but it used to be schism years ago. But anyway, you're going to make this gulf between you and the Jewish people. You're never going to live in fellowship if you don't make some concessions for your brothers and sisters. And people, that's no different than what we're called to do today. If we're to have fellowship with one another, some people have very strong convictions about some things. You know, I had a buddy in, in, in college, and I've shared this with you before, but because he used to rock and roll all the time, he played his guitar, he was torn up, he was in uh, bars and clubs and weird clubs at that, 
But anyway, he used to do this, and whenever he came to Christ, that was his big thing. He worshiped music. And so he felt like in his heart, there is no Christian on earth that's supposed to listen to anything that was not Christian radio, Christian music, or something like that. Some of you may hold that conviction as well. My personal feeling on things is I've heard some very beautiful love songs that are out there. Really have. I still play them on my guitar. I can sing them to my wife. She likes them. Anyway, but in his mind, for a Christian to do that, oh, can't believe that you listen to, you know, a love song or something like that. Okay. When I was around him, now for the most part, I don't, I mean, I, I, I have taste in various things. As long as it doesn't offend me, it doesn't offend Christ. You know, there are certain things that I do enjoy. But for him, I would do that. Why? Because I want to have fellowship with him and because he's growing in the Lord. And there were things that he did need to give up. Well, let me tell you this. Even between denominations or wherever we may be, I'm not going to go in and offend somebody because of my liberty in Jesus Christ. And especially, am I going to cause my brother or sister to stumble or to go against their good conscience because of my conviction of my liberty? Ooh, i got to be careful. I just thought about going somewhere. Nope, not going there. Sorry, not going there. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. But what he's saying is for fellowship with these Jewish believers, we need to make some concessions so that the church can grow together, not apart. And so here's what he said. He says we need to do these things for them, abstain and stay away from them, and observe a little bit of a, uh, I guess you would say, the dietary law so that we can have fellowship with one another and also to keep ourselves holy and pure sexually. Why? Because Moses, Moses, his expectations have been taught in the synagogues for the longest time. In other words, every week on the Sabbath, Saturday, it says, for Moses has had throughout many generations for the longest time, those who preach him in every city, yes, among his people, and being read on the, in the synagogues every Sabbath. In other words, the very places where they are going to go to, because we belong to Christ, you remember, they being originally God's people, now they're coming to Christ. Now we got these gentle Gentiles coming to Christ. How are we ever going to bridge that gap? If we look at the Jews and say, we'll eat what we want to eat, we'll do what we want to do. We're free in Christ. And yet their whole lives, they have felt this conviction and this uh, inner, I guess you would say, witness to abstain. Which God did tell them originally to do. Now in Christ Jesus, they are at liberty. But he says, we've got to be able to work together. So what do they decide to do? So verse 22 says, Then it pleased the apostles and the elders with the whole church. All of them are in agreement. That's a hard thing to do, especially on boats, to get everybody together. So what they decide to do is they're going to send chosen men of their own, not just Paul and Barnabas back, not just the people that were already there. They're actually going to send delegates with them 
from the church that represent them. One of these people is actually going to be Silas. Many times I can remember early on when I thought about Silas, I said, well, this is just the sidekick of Paul, you know? And maybe Paul, yes, being the apostle, but most people don't know that Silas was a prophet. Dun, dun. Yes. Okay, y'all really got to lighten up. Okay, <laughs> moving on. So it says, to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, okay, and then they have his surname there, and then Silas, uh, leading men among the brethren. They're going to explain the prophets here in just a minute. So they're going to send these people to them, and they decide to write a letter, and here is the letter. So if you want to see the Jerusalem Council write a letter, you want to hear what they had to say to Gentiles, this is from the church, from the apostles. Everybody in agreement, this is what they said to them to live in fellowship. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles, they are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from, you, from us have troubled you with words. In other words, there's people that came from Jerusalem and now they were troubling you, telling you had to obey all these other things. So they went out from us, troubled you with words, unsettling to your souls, saying that you must be circumcised and keep the law. People, these are not my words. This is the word of God. So take a look at it. Troubled you with words and settling to your soul, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. To whom we gave no commandment, no such commandment. We didn't tell them to say that. That did not come from us. It did not come from the church. That's an opinion of somebody else. We didn't do it. All right. Verse 25, it seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Beaten, stoned, thought Paul was dead just before this. For the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 27, we have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also will report the same things by word of mouth. In other words, you will hear from separate witnesses that we have ordained and sent. For it seemed good to who? The Holy Spirit. This is God. In other words, they're referring to a, a source greater than themselves, to God himself. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these. Please catch it again. The Holy Spirit has witnessed to us that there is no other burden except what we're going to lay on you right now so that we can have fellowship, okay? So he says to him, let's see, then these necessary things, verse 29, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things that are strangled, okay, you know that would still have blood in them as well, but anyway, we... we he says, and from sexual immorality, catch it again, things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality, if you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. That's it. That's the letter. What you're looking at on the screen, they said, if you do these things, you're fine. 
Now, people will look at today and say, well, are we supposed to avoid this, that, and the other? People, the Word of God was written for this particular need in this situation. Now, I will tell you this, even to this day, if I thought it was going to offend a Gentile, oh, excuse me, a Jewish person or in their faith, I'd do the same thing. Paul said it this way. So, yes, this is still binding in this respect. Paul says, if anything that I would do would injure another person's faith and their walk with Christ, don't do it. That's his word. Why, where did Paul get that from? From this. He's looking at him and he's saying, don't cause your brother to stumble. If it's going to break fellowship, if it's going to cause a problem, don't do it. All right. So he said, farewell. All right. So let me close up. Verse 30, it says, so when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. Okay, so when they hand this letter over, verse 31, and when they had read it, the Gentiles there, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Of course, this was encouraging to them. Wasn't Jesus plus anything? Now, Judas and Silas themselves being what? Prophets. Okay, there's a reason why these people are being sent. So these prophets are there, so being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. They are also not only of their witness from what happened at the Jerusalem church, but imagine the Holy Spirit also working through them in their prophetic gifting, their calling, their anointing, if you will. And they're also encouraging them by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the witness and revelation of the Holy Spirit, that this is right. This is what God has said. Okay? And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So they were getting ready to leave. They said, y'all can go. You can go back and see the apostles, but Pilus, uh, excuse me, Silas, Pilus. Is that, is that Greek? Is that like Paul? Is Silas or, or, or Saul and Paul? Is it Silas and Pilus? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> whoa, sorry. Paul chose, <laughs> okay, I, I need to go back and do this right. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And saints, here we are. Part of the body of Christ. And you will see also as things go on, there is a schism, schism, gulf, that does develop because of the hardness of people's hearts. But that has never been God's intention. Never been God's intention. God's intention is that we as people, as human beings, that we be together, that we love one another. As a matter of fact, just going a little bit off the grid here, if you go back to Genesis, I want you to think about this. God created Adam and Eve, right? And we know that after the fall, they were outside the garden. They had children, right? Cain and Abel and eventually Seth and probably other ones. But anyway. I want you to think about this. The Bible says he created them before they fell, male and female, right? If you got male and female, what is the expectation? You're going to have little rugrats running around at some point, right? Pitter-patter of little feet, and I'm not talking about a mouse and sheet metal. You're going to have children. You'll catch that in a minute. So anyway, the idea was for Adam and Eve from the beginning to have children, to have godly offspring, even before the fall. And eventually we would have had a planet, had we not fallen, we would have had a planet that was full of men and women. How do you think we would have lived? 
What would have been our relationship with one another? We would have been just like the closest of families. We have taken care of one another. We would work together. People say there's work before the fall. Yeah, God told Adam and Eve, here's a garden, take care of it, tend it. So there was the expectation that we would do something. But the whole thing was that we be together as one people and one accord. Do you know that that's part of what the church is supposed to be? As a matter of fact, as our worship team is coming. That was the expectation. And today, that is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. I know we don't do so well sometimes in being in one accord or in unity with one another, but here's the truth, people. The church is trying to get us back to what we were supposed to be in the beginning. To love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our might. And you ready for the second one? Because Jesus is the one that put them in there. They asked him for number one, and he put the second one in there. Because if you're not going to do the first one, you won't get the second one. And if you can't do the second one, you certainly are not going to get the first one. You must love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. You got to. Now. Are there aggravating people in this world? Ask my father. He'll tell you right now, I'm the most aggravating human being on the planet Earth. <laughs> Ask my wife. I'm one of the most stubborn people on the planet Earth. But let me tell you something. There's also another voice that tells me, Shane, you are aggravating and you are stubborn and you need to say you're sorry. You know why that voice is there? Not because I'm great or wonderful. It's because the Holy Spirit lives inside you and me. And I'm supposed to go and say, I'm sorry. And I'm supposed to make it right because we are supposed to be one. The church is what we were supposed to be. Tonight, if you would like special prayer, I'd love to be able to pray for you. I believe we've got a special prayer tonight, if I'm not mistaken. I'm supposed to be praying for, for somebody tonight. But anyway, forgive me. But if you'd all stand together. And I tell you what, we'll open, open the altars for just a moment, and then we'll have special prayer here in just a second. And uh, whatever God's dealing with your heart about, if you need special prayer, certainly pray with you. Or if you need some time with Jesus, absolutely. You have time with your Lord. He's my boss too, right? Let us worship and let us respond to God as he speaks to us. Respond to Christ.
the Lord. Did anybody, I was trying to remember, did anybody else need special prayer tonight? I wanted to make sure before we close. All right. Well, that being the case, love you. Mean it. This week as you go out, enjoy your opportunity every single day to shine for Jesus. Bring somebody his love, bring somebody his life, and let somebody see. They'll be drawn to him like a moth through the flame, I can assure you. The Lord bless you and keep you in Jesus' name. You're dismissed. Love somebody before you leave.